From its beaches and inlets to its forests and heathlands, Suffolk is a wonderful place to visit, but a great place in which to live. And yet, what makes Suffolk so fantastic isn't just its natural scenery and wonderful open skies, it's the people who inhabit this wonderful county. Suffolk is full of extraordinary people, of amazing businesses and staggeringly helpful community groups. So the reason why we've put this podcast together, the reason why we have the Suffolk Money podcast is that we have found that there are only three things we can do with money. We can spend it, we can save it, or we can give it away. So we speak with community groups and charities to which we can give. We talk with independent financial advisors and money experts about our savings. And we talk with entrepreneurs and business leaders about places in which we can spend our money. This is a series of podcasts supported by Kingsfleet Wealth Independent Financial Advisors. I wonder what you think about theatre. Is it something from a bygone era uh, that perhaps people experienced before television and streaming content? Or is it something that you have enjoyed going to? Perhaps you like musical theatre or perhaps something local that's put on in one of the many auditoriums we have around the county. Well, it was wonderful to be able to speak with Owen Calvert-Lyons. As we were looking forward to um, the panto season and the opportunities that would arise and having seen the theatres reopen during the summer of 2021. I have to admit, after speaking with Owen, I came away from that conversation really excited about the work that's going on in Bury St Edmunds and in particular in the Theatre Royal and the work that they are doing there. So this is Owen Calvert-Lyons, the Artistic Director and Chief Executive of the Theatre Royal Bury St Edmunds. Yeah, they're two big roles in themselves. Uh, so as a chief executive, uh, I guess in a traditional sense, I'm responsible for the entire organisation, uh, for its finances, uh, for its programme and activities, uh, and for all of its staff team. And I'm responsible to a, a, a brilliant board of trustees. Uh, and then the artistic director is a, a wonderful role. It's quite specific to the world of theatre. Uh, but I'm responsible for the art that goes onto our stages. So that's sometimes selecting plays that are created elsewhere, touring productions and uh, bringing those to Bury St Edmunds and putting them on our stages. Uh, but I'm also responsible for creating the art uh, in-house that we put onto our, our stage. So we make four in-house productions a year, uh, of which I direct the majority of those. Uh, and so on that side of it, uh, it's a very hands-on job of being a theatre director, of, of directing and making productions for our audiences. Well, uh, I don't know how you fit it all into a working week, um, both having that financial commitment and the responsibility there back to your board, but then also needing to have that artistic um, expertise to, to pull things together. So maybe we can explore that a little bit. Is it... Um, can we maybe just start with um, how did you get into the role that you have now? How did that come about? What's the history? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of creation myths. I often talk about them in my in my work, the, the way that we describe the journey that we've been on and, and the way that we 
um, sort of see that that journey and how we tell it to others, I think is really powerful. Um, so I guess I've got two, two aspects to my, my creation myth, if you like. Uh, firstly, is being passionate about theatre from a young age. So I was a member of a, a youth theatre uh, and, and uh, people often talk to me about their children who are often part of our youth theatre or other uh, young people's programmes that we offer and ask how their, their child can get into a career in the theatre. And I always say to them, join your local youth theatre. It's absolutely the best thing you can do. Uh, and if you don't want a career in theatre and you want to uh, do something else extraordinary with your life, then join your local youth theatre. It is fundamentally <laughs> the thing that is most likely to change your life. Uh, lots of our young people who come out through our youth theatre uh, have gone on to be all sorts of things, doctors, lawyers, uh, ultimately, they are happy people who contribute to society. So I was a part of a youth theatre when I was younger, and, and that, that really set me on a path and, and uh, made me passionate about theatre, but also made me able to communicate with other people, which is such a core part of, of what I do. The other part of the, the creation myth is uh, I went to university in Bristol, and um, as part of that course, we would have visiting lecturers and visiting and often they were visiting directors coming in uh, and talking to us about their work and, and as young people in our early 20s we were desperate to know how you how you got a job in theatre how, how did that work how was that possible um, and and he this brilliant director Rob Dixon said to me uh, well when you graduate you should just call up anybody that you've worked with during your time at university and tell them to give you a job um, so the minute I graduated, I called Rod and I said, Do you, I don't know whether you remember saying this, but uh, I'm calling you now to say, give me a job. Uh, and, and he was as good as his word and he gave me a job, uh, assistant directing him on a huge community pantomime in, in Plymouth with a cast of 100 uh, young people, older people, you know, everybody was involved. Um, and that was a great learning ground for me. Uh, and I've gone on to make all sorts of work with my community, wherever that's been. I've, I've moved around theatres across the country from York Theatre Royal uh, in the north down to Plymouth Theatre Royal in the, uh, in the south or at the Courtyard Centre for the Arts in, in the west, here now in Bury St Edmunds in the east. I've worked in places like Arcola Theatre and Oval House Theatre in London. So I've worked all over and, and therefore the community I've worked with has shifted throughout my career. Um, but I've made some extraordinary work with, with the people who live in and around the theatre that I've been employed by. Goodness. And how long have you been in Bury then? How long have you been working there? 18 months. Uh, uh, not quite that even. I started in June of last year, so right uh, in the height of the, of the, of the pandemic. Um, and when did you apply for that role? When did you see it advertised? Because I guess it wasn't in the pandemic when you... Um started the process no that's right i guess it would have been about december uh, of 2019 something uh, like that so so i was interviewed in i think january and appointed um with very much this sense of right we're gonna we're gonna get started we're gonna make lots of things happen we're gonna create lots of art we are um there was a feeling from the board that they wanted to be artistically adventurous um uh, that was in the in the February, 
that I was appointed, by the time I started four months later, because I'd seen out my notice period, it was a completely different world. The theatre was closed. Uh, there was no sense of let's try and make art because immediately the sense was let's try and raise some money and make sure we don't go bust. Mm. How did you, what, what was your first day like given that those were the circumstances that you were walking into? Uh, I mean, it was great. There was a, most of the staff were furloughed. So by the time I arrived, there was a, a team of five um, who were holding the fort. Um, and so it was a really warm reception. There was a, in a way it made it easier. You know, sometimes with big firms, it's quite complicated how you begin to talk to the team about how you're going to change direction and what, what your vision is and, and what that looks like and what, and, how, and what their role is within that. that. That was all made a lot simpler when there was just five of us and we had some very immediate goals around how we were going to raise some funds, how we were going to restructure the organization to just stay afloat. And crucially, how we were going to continue to be responsible uh, for the cultural life of our community. The, the thing that I, I brought in from the beginning was we can't, we can't shut up shop. You know, we, we are a vital uh, resource for our community. Um, yes, we need to raise some money and we need to stay afloat, but we also need to really be there for our community in an hour of real need. This was going to be a moment of, of, of it was really clear, this was going to be a moment of national trauma and the arts play a significant role in that. And so there was at the same time this sense of, yeah, how do we keep creating art and who do we make it with and who do we make it for and who needs that most right now? It almost gave you an opportunity to redefine your purpose uh, as you started and, and really pinpoint that rather than have a shotgun approach of just covering lots of different objectives. Absolutely. And also a sense that we didn't need to look at how do we evolve what we're doing now. We had shut, we had closed, we had no activity. So it allowed us to be really laser focused and say, which things do we want to make? Which things do we need to make? Who do we need to engage? And, and it became very clear things like our got a very big community engagement program here um, uh, and there were lots of people who sort of rely on the activity of coming and working with us every week so lots of young people through our youth theatre lots of older people through our actor age program um, lots of vulnerable groups and we immediately set about getting those groups back up and running online all of our team had to relearn new practices to be able to run youth theatre sessions and, and theatre engagement classes digitally. But we got all that up and running straight away. And then the next sense was, how do we now start offering something to the rest of the town? And um, we built uh, a production of A Christmas Carol in the town square. You know, we, didn't, we didn't have the resource of this beautiful 200-year-old theatre available to us at that point. And so we said, how do, how do you make theatre when you don't have that theatre, but we've still got a team that are hungry to make art. So um, we set about transforming a car park in the town centre into a, a theatre every night. So that was the first production that you delivered in your time? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, and that felt extraordinary, a great way to sort of meet the community and meet the town. So, I mean, theatres always struggle with this sense of 
you've got a threshold that people have to cross. You've got a building that people need to walk into. And by the nature of that, people have to feel comfortable and confident to do that and that that's part of their world. Uh, and not everybody does. Whereas if you build it in the town centre in the middle of a car park that everybody has to walk through, everybody engages with that. Nobody has to decide whether they think of themselves as a theatre goer um, or they think of themselves as somebody who buys tickets to see art. They just suddenly came across this production that, that, that they could be involved with. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And what was the target that you set yourself for the fundraising um, side of things? Well, we, we had a, uh, a community fundraising initiative where, you know, Theatre Royal Very St Edmunds has a great tradition of being supported by our own community. When it was rescued from being derelict um, many decades ago now, but you know, that was done by the public. You know, there were some trusts and foundations in the background helping as well, but really that was public, public subscription um, of people giving what they could that got this theatre back from being a, a derelict barrel store back into being a working theatre. So but that history is really palpable. Um, and so we felt we needed to do the same. We needed to put a call out that invited the public to help support us. We were really clear that that, that didn't necessarily mean wealthy individuals. If people could give us whatever they could afford. Um, and we raised 70,000 pounds. We had set a target of 50,000. Uh, and within uh, four weeks, we'd raised 70,000 pounds. And there were some wonderful stories within that. You know, local community groups, um, the local college, the students in their graduating year said that actually they would like the ticket money from their final performance to go to Theatre Royal. Uh, there was the story of a woman who worked in our local supermarket, who one of the actors from The Christmas Carol went in there one day. And she said, oh, my daughter smashed her piggy bank and gave that money to Theatre Royal's campaign. You know, that's a, an eight-year-old girl saying that actually she wanted to give her savings to help Theatre Royal. So you know, there were just wonderful stories, which, which we needed at that point. You know, we needed the money, but we also needed that, that love and that sense that we were doing something important and that the theatre was needed and it was worth all of the team and, and all of our supporters putting in all of that time and money and effort to get this theatre back on its feet so that that knowledge that we were needed was really vital so on the subject of being needed um there perhaps is a perception out there that theatres are really it, it's about the art uh, or the performance um and yet it sounds to me from what you've been saying that having a board that it's a charity that actually there's a wider objective than that what what's the story there yeah absolutely i mean we are fundamentally we're an education charity uh and um i think it, it, it's sometimes quite complex for audiences to to get a sense of that when they're coming in and uh watching a play on our stage um but if you look at the wider footprint of what we do, um, so for instance, this week we have just started a brand new uh, non-verbal youth theatre, which is for disabled and neurodivergent children. So they now have a dedicated class every week run by our team of specialists. We've retrained our entire creative learning team to be able to deliver youth theatre activities non-verbally. Uh, so things like that are, are sort of what we see as our core business. Uh, we have lots of young people engage in our programme 
every week. They might come to a youth theatre class. We also host them after school at, at various schools across West Suffolk. Uh, we've got an older people's group uh, called Act Your Age. We've got a community group. We work very closely with Women's Refuge um, uh, and uh, the, the drop-in centre and all sorts of other groups that work with, with vulnerable people. Uh, so that, that work can be quite hidden sometimes. It's not always uh, work that ends in public performance. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it's very delicate work and it, and it isn't uh, on our stage. It might be delivered elsewhere. So it, it can be harder for the public to get a sense of all of that. Or, or for example, earlier this year, we started a new project called Tiny Plays, Big Ideas, in which we work with 450 10-year-olds. And a team of professional playwrights went into those schools during lockdown and they taught those children how to write plays. And that was really important. There was no subject matter they had to write about. They could write about whatever was important to them. And that was really vital, vital part of the process for them to understand that the things that are meaningful and important to them at 10 are as important as anybody else's view on the world. Um, and we then took 13 of those tiny plays, they were all sort of two or three minutes long, and we employed a team of professional actors and they performed those plays on our stage <laughs> to hundreds of children. Uh, you know, those projects, they're not open to the public, so again, they can be a little bit invisible to members of the public. But it's a really important part of our work, and so I guess there's, there's two ways that people support that work. Some of it is donation. Again, we're, we're a charity, people can donate to us all of that money gets spent on our, our education activities uh, and, and our work with our community. But also ticket buying. Ticket buying is absolutely central to our work. 50% of our income comes from people buying tickets and that money in turn supports all of that education work. So uh, that is, yeah, those two ways of two ways people can support us and they're both equally vital. Of course you, uh, have or you are within um, a remarkable building, an old building, um, a beautiful building. Uh, but perhaps I might be thinking as someone who's looking to support your work, well, that must be a huge drain on your resources. Uh, imagine the upkeep on that, that must be horrendous. Uh, how do you cover that cost? Because to maintain that must be phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think. Um it's really important to us that, that when in people, when individuals give us money, that money isn't being used to shore up um, uh, the the old building. We don't use that to repair our boilers. You know, all of that money is spent on our educational activities. Uh, it is expensive running an old building like this. We are grade one listed. We're only one of only nine grade one listed theatres in the whole of England. Um, uh, but with that money is almost always covered by uh, trusts and foundations. The, the Foil Foundation, you know, right at the height of the pandemic, when we were fundraising just to keep going, our boiler packed in, you know, when it, when it rains, it pours. And, uh, and so we had a new bill on top of all that was 60 grand to replace the entire heating system. But we go to people like the Foil Foundation for that, uh, who generously supported us. And, you know, and the Theatres Trust. It's those sorts of organisations that are helping us to keep this building uh, ship shape and, and spent on the nuts and bolts. So yeah, it, there can be a, a misapprehension that an old building becomes a bottomless pit and the public are paying for that. They're absolutely not. When the public give us money, 
we're using it straight into our education work and particularly our work with children and young people. So that's a really important message that anything that's either given to you or spent on ticket sales actually goes to support that work in Bury St Edmunds in the surrounding area and primarily in education. Absolutely. Goodness, that's quite a, 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 that. That's maybe something that we don't all understand. So, when did the opportunity arise to actually get the doors open? So we've talked about um, uh, having a Christmas carol uh, outside, but when were you able to get allow people in the building? So the the government restrictions uh, lifted to enable theatres to reopen in May, uh, and I think we opened on something like the twenty first of May. Um, and uh, that was a really exciting moment. You know, this building is very close to the heart of our community and, and for all of our, our staff team as well. So uh, it always felt like there were multiple stages to this process. And firstly, it was just ensuring we were financially viable and safe and that, that we could create some activity. Uh, the second was that moment when we could reopen our doors to the public. So uh, we created a, a, a new version of Around the World in 80 Days, um, the, the Jules Verne classic, um, and we reopened with that. And there was a really feeling that um, in lockdown, people had been stuck. People had been only been in one place and they had, had to imagine the rest of the world. And so I loved the idea of Around the World in 80 Days, in which they travel all across the globe and all that comes with that and all of that extraordinary sense of what travel means and what it means to have new experience that felt so alien to us at that point uh, earlier in the year. So that that was why I chose that production. And uh, it was also a, a real fast paced, upbeat comedy that was intensely theatrical. We made something with three actors playing 25 roles. It's not the sort of thing that film can recreate. You, you have to be there live to see that moment. Um, so that felt like a great way to reopen the building. And of course, it was your first production within the theatre itself, from what you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've, I've been very lucky in this short period of time. We've been um, fairly prolific. I've now made three plays in the last 12 months and two of those on the Theatre Royal stage. And it's an absolute privilege to make work in that space. That's really good. Uh, so were you able to have the theatre full at that stage or was there space and distancing required at that point? We were socially distanced at, at that point. So I think our, our usual capacity is 350 uh, and for around the world in 80 days, we were operating at about a third of that. So I think we we're somewhere in the region of 110 seats available. So what's happened since then? Are you now able to open fully? Yes. So uh, from, uh, I think, August was the period where that shifted again and we were able to uh, open to full capacity, uh, which is where we are now. We still keep a section of our audience socially distant. So if there, if there are audience members who are less confident or, or still feeling that they would like that extra space around them, they can book tickets in a separate part of the theatre. Um, but lots of audiences are now coming back and actually what they're craving is that uh, proximity to other people. They're, they are missing that experience of of shared experience of sitting i mean particularly comedy comedy is selling very well at the moment lots of audiences coming back for that and if you've ever been to a, a comedy comedy night you'll know you need those bodies around you. you you know the laughter only comes when you're surrounded by other people laughing it sort of comes as a wave if, if you've ever been to a, 
the comedy gig where there's big spaces around you and big gaps. You see that everybody seizes up and everybody goes very quiet. And as soon as you're surrounded by other people, um, people let go and, and really enjoy that. So that is what audiences seem to be really craving at the moment. And it's great to get audiences back in large numbers. And really that's only happened in the last few weeks that now we're getting back to those those nights of, of being full, of selling out, of having that lovely, uh, the moment I miss most, which it was so lovely now it's back, is that moment when the lights go down and you feel that kind of collective inhale, that little moment where everybody holds their breath for a moment just before the first note uh, of the music kicks in. Uh, and then you kind of feel that collective relaxation of everybody letting themselves go and starting to let themselves be pulled into a story. Now that is really magical. And, and the moment that first came back, you could really feel that ripple through the audience, that sort of moment of electricity. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, and what feedback have you had from uh, the audiences that you've had? It's been wonderful. You know, the, the other great change um, is people really want to tell us about their experience. You know, Theatres always want to do that. They always want to see and anybody endlessly got um, post-production questionnaires from us will know that we are always interested in what our audience think. And in the past, a reasonable amount of people have told us that now that people are returning, they are desperate to tell us about their experience. We get loads of post-show questionnaires, people going into real detail about what the experience was like for them, how they felt, what it meant to them, particularly if it's their first show back. So audience feedback has been brilliant. Our team read it all. We meet every Tuesday morning and we read through all of the customer feedback from the week before. Uh, and it's wonderful. It's one of the real joys of the job to just hear what somebody's experience has been sitting in one of those seats in our theatre. Do you hear anything from perhaps those who aren't attending at the moment or perhaps the people who you would have almost expected to be there who for whatever reason still don't feel that they can join in? We do um, and that's really important for us we're doing lots of research into at the moment because there is of course still a section of our audience that hasn't yet returned um, and generally that seems to be falling into two camps there is the audience who uh, are still feeling worried by Covid and are not ready to return to uh, those sort of public spaces and that is absolutely understandable. Um, we also have a second uh, reason for people not coming back, which is people's lives have shifted. People have adjusted their life to uh, fit the circumstances they found themselves in. So when they found they were stuck at home, couldn't do all the things they normally did, they looked to things that could happen in their own home. So they took out extra subscriptions to various streaming services. Uh, maybe they got a puppy. Maybe they took a subscription to one of those food boxes that gets sent to you uh, every week with recipes. All of those things, which are all a you know, wonderful part of modern life, um, they do start building a life for you, which is much more based at home. Uh, and it becomes much harder to go out and do all the things that you did in the past because of those commitments. Um, and so what we're finding is that for lots of audience, they just haven't yet unpicked those things. And I think that will just take people a bit of time while they, they'll come a point where they remember what it was like to go to a beautiful, busy restaurant or to go to a fabulous bar or to have a night out at the theatre and be surrounded by laughter and other people. And as people start missing that, they will start 
changing their lives. And, and for all of us, you know, you, you and I, I'm sure, will find that we'll have just realized we've gone to the cinema less often than we might normally have. We're going to the theatre less often. It's all about habit. And so some of our job right now is building back those habits, reminding people just how wonderful the experience of live theatre is, the fact that it is irreplaceable. There is nothing else that is quite the same and encouraging people to come back. Is there anything that you are able to do or the, the Theatre Royal is able to do to help people with that, taking that first step or reminding them of that experience that they've missed? A lot of it is about how we manage the experience of, of the theatre and, and listening to all of that feedback is really key, making sure that people's experiences is, are fantastic, that, um, that we're improving our, our bar facilities and we introduced an online app so that when people could order drinks at their seat. Uh, so we've changed lots of things around the theatre um, to try and uh, increase people's uh, enjoyment and experience. Um, but a lot of it is, is about the quality of the art. You know, we're just making sure there are great things on our stages so that when people come along, they're seeing brilliant performances. And that's ultimately what will make people come back. That sounds like a great opportunity to maybe just look ahead and see what's uh, happening so you can uh, tip us off about some of the things that are on your in your diary for the next little while. Yeah, absolutely. Always, always delighted to do that. <laughs> things like uh, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, so that is um, a production that has toured before and we're finding in this period, there's quite a lot of work that's been really successful a couple of years ago. And people are finding that it's uh, easier to get that work back out right now than to create new work. So, uh, so in a lot, in a way, a lot of theatres are presenting kind of the greatest hits of the last few years. Yeah, great. Um, so, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, we had wonderful audience feedback when that was on two years ago. So it's brilliant to bring bring that story back to our stage. Uh, that's on here uh, in early October. Uh, we've got things like Tell Me on a Sunday. Uh, with Jodie Pringer and um, uh, so that's a great musical it's a one-woman musical it's come out of the water mill uh, talking about a, a young English woman's love life in 1980s New York uh, it, it's a great story and a brilliant musical so uh, that's already both of those already selling really well and that's really heartening for us um, the big thing for us of course is pantomime uh, pantomime's such an enormous part of our year it's where the majority of our income is made. So it becomes doubly crucial for us. One is, I guess, one is that part of that is how we meet our audiences. So 20,000 people see that pantomime. That's a big chunk of our audience. So that becomes really important in those terms. Uh, but in finance terms, it, it's vital. It is the thing that underpins the rest of the year. It's the thing that enables us to invest money in other arts and make other productions throughout the year is all based on the success of, of the pantomime. So this year is Cinderella. Um, it was scheduled for last year. So it's arriving a, a year late, um, which means we've had a whole year of anticipation. And some people who bought their tickets, you know, we go on sale for next year's panto on the first day of each year's pantomime. So some people may have booked their tickets the first day they went on sale. And now we're almost two years later by the time they will finally go to the ball with cinders so we're hugely excited for, for cinderella and i know our audiences are absolutely desperate to come back and see a pantomime here. 
That sounds fantastic. And but when we just came onto the call, you were even talking about having a day where you're thinking ahead five years. So just thinking of these three things, um, that's amazing that you've got such really popular and I'm sure uh, uh, performances that people will want to come and see. How do you then apply your role as artistic director to think that far ahead, though, when you talk five years? Yeah, that, that's a really big part of the job, really, is that kind of viewing the future of the organisation and looking at which direction we're travelling in and thinking about the pieces of art that we want to make and the stories we want to tell and, and why we want to tell them. Um, so things like uh, next year, we've got programmed The Secret Garden. Um, we've just in introduced a new thing called the Commissioning Circle, where we've invited five local people to work with us to fund the commissioning of a new play. So uh, we're going to take them on that whole journey. They're going to be patrons in, in the old fashioned sense of it, you know, like Shakespeare's patrons, the people that paid the money to him to enable him to write plays. So those five people are going to cover the cost of the commissioning of brilliant playwright Nicola Waronowska, who's based in Colchester, to do a new adaptation of The Secret Garden. Uh, and that um, is going to look at, it's going to tell the, the, the traditional story that so many of us know and love. But it's also going to look at it through a 21st century lens and explore its view of disability. You know, in, in the book, there's a really difficult idea that Colin is, thinks he's disabled and he worries and, and, and is terrified that he's going to grow up to be disabled. And towards the end, there's a sense that he's overjoyed that it turns out that he's not disabled. Now that sits really uncomfortably in the 21st century where actually uh, we're looking at that again and saying, well, what does that mean in the 21st century? How does a child we want that child is disabled they're going to go on to have a really extraordinary fruitful life so how do we look at that play through that a 21st century lens to explore that and that's where we can build in all of that wonderful work that we're doing uh, with our non-verbal youth theatre and some of those young people will play a part in the final production uh, to allow us to get a really complex view of, of disability and what, what disability uh, means in, in the 21st century. And so those stories become important. You know, we want to tell stories that reflect the way that we live our lives now. Uh, and so the Secret Garden will enable us to do that next summer. Uh, we're also looking at uh, a play in March, uh, and I'll be directing Home I'm Darling, which is a, a play that was in the West End, uh, I think back in 2017, and it won the award for, for best play that year. Um, uh, and that tells the story of a woman called Judy who uh, gives up her high powered job in the city and decides she wants to live her life as a 1950s housewife. Um, so it's a great, uh, fun uh, play, but it's exploring some really complex things about 21st century life. And is that okay? Can you, can you do that? Can following all of the, the uh, I guess the battles and particularly the, the feminism movement, but all of the battles that have been fought socially over the past 50 years, say, to, or certainly since if we're talking about the, the 50s, then 70 years to gain those freedoms. Is it okay to choose not to and to choose to live your life as though it's still the 1950s? Uh, so it's a great play. It's a, 
I'm, I'm really looking forward to making that one. And that's some great material there. I'm sure that would uh, get many of our listeners interested in in some of the uh, uh, plans that you have for just for next year. Never mind what you're thinking beyond that. That uh, that's really great. So, I mean, just hearing that, it sounds to me as though. Uh, and hands up, I'm not a significant theatre going by any means, but to me that sounds like these are things that people will really want to see. Uh, and and actually, though they they engage. To, to make us think it's not there for entertainment necessarily of course it is entertainment but actually it's there to make us think um so for those who would suggest that the theater is now a thing of the past what's your response to that well for me theater is uh is a, is a thing of the present and and it's a, a vital part of my life and and separating that from my professional life I mean you know from my personal life theatre is how I understand the world you know, theatre allows me to sit in a seat and and see somebody else's life that is completely different to mine and allows me to process what I think of that what what would I do that, that great ability theatre has of, to engage empathy for, for us to imagine uh, great great and, and awful things you know we can watch tragedies this week we had Macbeth in on Monday and you know, the, the awfulness of imagining yourself in, in the, in, uh, as somebody beset with uh, or somebody as a murderer or somebody uh, beset with with in a mental health crisis or or on the other hand theatre allows us to see elation and joy and romance you know all these big things that are that are that may or may not happen to us in our lives and it allows us to test our response to them and i think that's extraordinary and i think that i, I love that i love sitting and a film can be similar that, that ability to imagine yourself in a completely different life to find yourself weeping at, 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 at great sadness and loss or, or laughing at great joy now, those are the the things that fuel our lives they're the the meaningful events in our lives that, that where we would generate that emotion in a real situation it gives us access to that much more often you know our, our lives you know some of us might be out there living extraordinary lives but for most of us our, our lives don't go in those enormous peaks and troughs very regularly theatre allows us to still connect to those those great highs and lows yeah what a what a way of putting it. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing uh, way of considering that because, um, yeah, I'm sure all of us, however uh, few occasions we've visited a theatre, have gone through that experience of either having a piece of music or something that was sung um, really stirring us or just the story um, stirring us, as you say, either you know, moving us greatly or, or, or getting us to smile from ear to ear. Uh, so what, how do you see things going in the future? I mean, obviously, you've had a, a real baptism of fire over the last 18 months, um, Owen. So, uh, you know, what's, what's the plan? How, how, does, how do things map out in the future for the Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds? Well, uh, things are looking positive. Um, we particularly, audiences returning in large numbers is, is a big part of that. You know, seeing audience confidence growing, more people in our in our theatre uh, having an extraordinary time. That that's a really vital for us. You know, so much of our income is made from ticket sales. That, that that's crucial. 
so that that's positive. I guess we still are nervous. You know, coronavirus hasn't gone away. Uh, there's always the chance that the numbers go back up, and that that could be quite devastating. Thus far, government subsidy has really helped us out and and, and ensured our survival, uh, as with public giving. Um, but that's always harder a second time. So we're, we're very nervous about uh, anything that would take us back into closing the building. Uh, the pantomime is, is, like I said, really, really crucial. I think we won't really know where we are financially uh, until we get to February. If we have a positive outturn with the pantomime and we sell as many tickets as we've targeted, uh, then we'll come out in a really good place and we'll come out feeling confident to build our staff team back to the size it was before the pandemic, to feel artistically courageous and able to make uh, big, exciting work. Um, and that's that's what we're focusing on, really, is putting our energies into the pantomime, ensuring that that earns us the income that we need to be financially secure and stable. So a lot of our thinking all depends on that. And come February, we'll get back around the table and we'll, we'll get a clearer sense of where we are. Uh, and I hope we find that we're in a really good place. And then the five-year plan that you referred to, which is the dreaming we're doing at the moment, we are busy creating an artistic vision for what five years of art in Bury St Edmunds looks like. And, um, and we can only enact that if, if things go well this, this winter. So yeah, well, fingers crossed, everything is uh, looking good. So what are the dates for the pantomime for anyone who's listening and who's thinking, oh, you know, that sounds absolutely great. So we open on the 26th of November and we run through this to the 16th of January. So it's a, a really long run. There are shows throughout that time, multiple performances a day. Uh, if you want to come and see Cinderella, you will absolutely be able to do that. It's, uh, it's hugely popular, but at this stage, there are lots of tickets. Well, we want to make sure those are filled because it sounds like the uh, future of the, the, the theatre in Bowie St Edmunds is, is almost um, dependent on how that, that goes in terms of your future plans. I'm sure they'll be great anyway, but they could be even better if you've got plenty of full houses. Yeah, and, and we're always keen to, um, you know, to, to say that unashamedly, you, know, there, you will come and you will have a wonderful time. Cinderella is a great story. Our pantos are really well loved. We've got a great team of actors. So first and foremost, you're going to have a brilliant time and you're going to feel like that's money well spent because you've had a great time. But secondly, that money is helping to absolutely ensure the survival of Theatre Royal. Uh, and it's going to help us to do all sorts of extraordinary things with our education work, uh, all the things that I described earlier around the work we do with our community. So yes, we are unashamed about that, but you're, we need that money uh, through ticket sales to help us to do extraordinary things. Well, it's been wonderful to listen to the plans that you have and what you've been able to accomplish through this ridiculously difficult 18 months or so um, you seem to have coped remarkably well with what must have been a very difficult time so thank you so much Owen for your time we've loved listening to everything you've been telling us and you know trust that all will go well over these next few months in particular so that you've got a very bright future ahead of you thanks Colin it's really great to talk to you today Well, I hope you are as enthused 
as I have been in speaking with Owen. Uh, there's no doubt that his uh, excitement about the work of the Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds and the educational causes that they seek to uh, address um, through their work is something that I shall remember for quite a long time. Please do subscribe to the Suffolk Money podcast so that you are always made aware of when a new episode is available. And if there's any stories that you would like us to cover, please do get in touch and sign up for reminders through our website, suffolkmoney.co.uk. So this has been the Suffolk Money podcast supported by Kingsfleet Wealth. And I just want to thank my incredible team who do all the hard work behind the scenes for Sally Birch for booking in every every speaker that we have, for Kevin Birch for ensuring that it all sounds really good and his editing and production. Uh, and for Joy Day in all the work that she does is ensuring that our um, online uh, content makes sense so thank you so much everybody for your support and uh, we look forward to providing you with something else to listen to very shortly and keep listening in for the suffolk money podcast <laughs>